Hey, how's it going? Uh, Champagne Sharks, how's everyone doing? This is Trevor. Go to the Champagne Sharks Twitter, at Champagne Sharks, one word, because I'm trying to do uh, use Twitter less on an individual basis and moving over to using the actual podcast account for reasons that will be clear with this episode, you know, just as far as uh, distancing myself from uh, not using social media as much. Go to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks, $5 a month. You get access to double the episodes, the voice and chat server on discord. You get access to that. A lot of other goodies that are coming up, including show notes. You get uh, access to show notes too, that are more in depth, what you get for free. And with that being said, we have with us uh, Kenny. What up, guys? This is Kenny. Um, find me on the Champagne Sharks because you can't find me on Twitter. And I'm not telling you my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, also, Mario is joining us later. He's doing his patented uh, pop-up to, uh, later I'm in the Come show, riding so. in on a Harley. Yeah, exa- yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and um, we have with us our guest, uh, Dale. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. I'll let you pronounce your last name. I, th- I say Baran, but Baran. Uh, okay. uh, I, I really am. All uh, all mispronunciations are also acceptable to me, so it's fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just let us know uh, who you are and where to find you. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm a writer and an artist, uh, and I have a Twitter account. Uh, my name, Dale Baran, uh, at Dale Baran. Uh, that's probably the best <clears> place <throat> to find me. Uh, I also have a website, just dalebaran.com um yeah uh, those two places are probably the best places i'm also uh, riding in on a harley it's just uh it's very <laughs> muted it's hard to hear <laughs> it's an environmental harley harley it's an electric one like so it's, yeah, yeah, it's very yeah. Electric, electric harley. metaphorical yeah yeah you know <laughs> yeah it's like a harley prius but. Yeah, yeah, one of the new Harley Priuses. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's very uh, yeah. You gotta have a conscience when you when you're uh, you know, when you're on your Harley. Yeah, yeah and it runs uh, on water. <laughs> runs on water. A uh, steam, steam Harley. Yeah, steam. Uh, uh, yeah. Steam uh, Dale has a book that I will let you uh, say the title and explain explain the title because the title is kind of like a double entendre. Uh, it's called It Came From Something Awful, How a Toxic Troll Army Accidentally Memed Donald Trump Into Office. Um, and yeah, it's about a series of websites uh, that formed a cultural and political movement uh, that ultimately threw its uh, support behind Donald Trump in 2016. So uh, mainly about uh, 4chan and 8chan, but also its predecessor, Something Awful, which is another uh, early web forum that was dark and cynical. And on an earlier episode that I wasn't on, but it was Kenny and Mario, our other, they were talking about this show, Evil, that is new this season. It's a first season show on CBS. And they actually had an incel Chan episode. Okay. And, uh, wow. and yeah, yeah, it, it was a very network TV, CBS kind of uh, explaining it to olds kind of thing. But I mean, it wasn't terrible as it could have been, you know, uh, but they mentioned like the Chans and Mario and Ken were talking about uh, one of the things they said was, "Hey, do you notice the eight chan now?" And then I think Ken was like, "Wait, it's double the chance or whatever." And <laughs> <laughs> this book gets into all that. So there was a two chan, a four chan, and an eight chan. Yes. Also, something awful and something awful. One thing I didn't realize was how many things it gave birth to. Uh, as far as it's kind of like you know i think it's a good uh, analogy for it i don't remember if you said this or if something that i came popped in mind when i was reading your book but mm-hmm. a lot of times when you when you read any books on punk rock or you watch any documentaries on punk, punk rock there's always this kind of stock description or phrase that happens when they say like oh velvet underground or iggy pop they weren't punk but they were like proto-punk and right. everybody who 
got into punk, you know, were people who grew up listening to like Velvet Underground or, you know, like part of the handful of people who were into like Iggy Pop and they were coming up and that, you know, it kind of inspired that thing. And I don't know if that description you would say is right, but I felt like that's what Something Awful was kind of described as in your book and in your article. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, seminal maybe is the, is the word. It, yeah, it, seminal. That's yeah, word. right. It, it had a lot of cultural impact, I think, and a lot of a lot of it went unnoticed or went into other things. Um, though this is often, I think, the history of the internet. Same thing with 4chan, where a lot of the innovations from Something Awful and 4chan, when they were wildly chaotic but creative places, got folded it into big social media uh, like uh, Snapchat or Twitch, uh, stuff like that. Yeah, like something awful. They were the first people that were doing kind of live video game plays, which is just, you know, now a uh, industry with with Twitch and YouTube and things like that. Yeah, and that's something that's interesting too, is like a lot of things that we kind of think of as corporate products today, like, you know, they were kind of doing haphazardly themselves and the, corp- the corporations kind of capture that energy, capture those things, kind of corporatize them. But yeah, the stuff like stream and a lot of these different, they kind of uh, started that type of stuff first, but a really crazy version of it. Like it's, it's um, one thing I find very interesting is like, for example, a lot of uh, not just popular posters, but journalists and different people kind of got a following first on something awful. Yeah, that's very true. Um, a lot of the Twitter comedians, the, uh, um, a lot of something awful users that because it was probably a comedy site. It was for aspiring comedians, though it was this dark, cynical version of comedy. They moved to Twitter when Twitter came around and started weird Twitter. What's what they called it? And uh, like uh, Wint and and some of the drill rather at drill and some of the other yeah. most popular comedians on Twitter came from that movement. Um, were originally something awful comedians. So yeah, that, and it made a lot of sense because there was mm-hmm. a lot of homegrown language in there. I I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it was a lot. I felt like weird Twitter kind of popped up fully formed. I remember I was wondering, like, how do these people have such a language already? But a lot of it was kind of developed on something awful before yeah, that. I would say, yeah, definitely. And and something awful was regarded when the internet was much smaller as this place where internet culture was invented. It wasn't that the internet wasn't big enough to have many different places where it came from. Uh, yeah, they were inventing these ideas like memes, memes came out of something awful and then 4chan both popularized them. Um, so that is the sort of thing that still is very relevant to youth culture and social media and corporations and all of that. Uh, those were something awful and 4chan inventions. Uh, and yeah, the same thing with a lot of this language um, and that style of comedy, which was also about kind of trash culture, right? It was about like this idea that everything is garbage. You can still see Drill's Twitter account, right? Like that we're kind of post post everything and we're just sifting through all of the cultural detritus on the bottom <laughs> of uh, the drifts to the bottom of the internet. Um, so that, yeah, that style, that humor style was developed first as something awful. Uh, and then uh, I think propagated through the rest of the internet. <laughs> something that I've been noticing this stuff more like that type of the whole irony accounts, like, you know, everything is like, you look at the profile and you can't figure out what the person believes or who's behind this. Um, there's just like, like, you know, levels of trash, like, like the location makes no sense on the Twitter <laughs> right. profile, right. the, the part where you put your personal, um, website will be something like, uh, amway.com, like, like, like just a bunch of contextless, like weird stuff. Right. The, the way I kind of started describing it is like, try hard, low effort. It's like <laughs> this kind of very try hard air of low effort, like lots of lowercase. Right. 
Lots of whatever, but when you look at it, it's almost meticulously crafted. Like this person took a lot of effort to, to, uh, they try really hard to look as low effort and I don't care as possible, but in a weird paradoxical way, you can almost tell they're very into how they, how they appear. Like they really want to look like nothing is a serious business, like at all, (laughs) you know? Yes. Um, That's a great description. Yeah. They uh, take a lot of effort to make their accounts or their style look like garbage, which is um, uh, very true. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I I see it too, where, uh, you know, I'll be reading Twitter and people will be uh, having these elaborate puns on Epstein or um, Twitter memes or cultural moments. And and it just feels like all this. And the the joke is that like we're sort of living in this era of, of nonsense and cultural garbage, but it's perfectly cultivated, right? Like references that I have take a long time to decode, even though now I'm I guess after I wrote the book, I'm sort of framed as a meme expert. <laughs> I'm like I would never do anything like this. This is too elaborate, even for me. <laughs> oh, oh no, yeah. no, it, it, it's true. But, but you're kind of trying to explicate it, whereas there's this kind of thing where they're where you're constantly trying, part of the ethos is to constantly try to disguise or keep the uninitiated out. And, yes, and, right. and And I'll give, it, I'll give an example, and I'm sure you probably noticed this, Ken, and something about the internet does this. It's not just this crowd. One of the things I want to talk about is how you're very focused on the part that a lot of people are focused on. I think they're focused on it because first, it seems to have gotten a president elected. And also, mm-hmm. there's a lot of like straight up spree killers who coming yes. out of the scene but honestly, this kind of ethos, this kind of constant nihilism, uh, like you describe three elements of 4chan or the chans. And mm-hmm. Kenny, tell me this doesn't sound like a lot of what we talk about with mm-hmm. uh, the black internet and the black uh, edgelords. Yeah. But he says, he says three things. He says uh, a nihilism, that's number one. Oh, dropping yeah. out is kind of like, you know, dropping out of society or giving up of, yep. Yep. of the race. And number three, living your life on the screen. Yes. And that applies to so many uh, scenes. But I think first, there's a lot of white men out there and they're mm -hmm. the ones most likely to shoot and they're Mm -hmm. getting people elected and Trump is a figurehead. So it makes sense to focus on, you know, that. But I think what that breakdown describes a lot of disaffected, angry people. And, and, you know, there's even like a segment of the Bernie left who have kind of become like this. There's Mm -hmm. uh, black people who've become like this. There's black, there's these black women that, sound like incels you know just hmm. angry at black men all the time there's black hmm. men who are constantly angry at uh black women but there's like uh this guy called hotep jesus who's like mm-hmm. calling stuff a hotep but he's not really a hotep but he has that same kind of using of symbols there's this kind of old school irony yeah i yeah it's like they're ironically hmm. pro-black yeah. and huh. and then people try to link them to the original pro-black hoteps and part of the joke is they're not really that they just call themselves that and you guys do you remember um there was a show that used to come on really long time ago called you can't do that on television oh yes you remember when they used to have the segment in the show where everything the introduction to the opposites and everything would turn upside down and like the kids would be the parents and biff the guy in the restaurant would be they would be serving him and like that's what that's like where it's like (laughs) sure it's a total reversal of irony right and what i found is and we've talked about this of course like t said i blame everything on the internet and it's not that i blame everything on the internet what i've done is what i've found is Social media, in particularly Twitter, is like the Wizard of Oz. 
know what I'm saying? You're never going to see who's behind the fucking curtain. <laughs> okay. And the reason why is because these people, like social media has become a rest haven for people. Majority of these people are in, you know, middle America, USA, white, black, regardless of what they are. They're usually yeah. in the Midwest. They're usually in the Pacific Northwest. They're usually mm-hmm. in places where, one, you're going to get a lot of sun. Two, there ain't shit to do. Three, <laughs> they have no sense of culture, no sense of belonging, nothing. Right. And the only interactions that they have is with people on social media. So what happens is with the whole Trump thing, with all of that, they all found a place where they all can be. Because all of those dudes that I found, they usually were be- between the ages of like 19 and 31. They weren't even old. Sure. Yeah. No, but, no, but some of them are younger now. Like I get trolled oh, by people, well, yeah. and I even find out like, they're they're like even, twelve. I'm just, but I'm yes. just talking about the guys that were talking about voting for that ended up falling into the Trump bandwagon. Those dudes the, were pretty much young. Like they should have been the out in the world living their lives. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. But, but I mean, even bigger than the alt right, because this book is kind of like how a lot of disparate things kind of turned into the alt right. But there's like twelve year olds mixed, in, and everybody right. lies, so you have no idea what you're dealing with. You, right. you could be in a group chat. There's like a forty year old and a twelve year old. You don't even realize it till yeah. after which uh, again is a scary thing in and of itself because it's like the fact that everyone can kind of communicate kind of shows older people getting infantilized or are younger people being forced to grow up or hmm. and, and that's something you could talk about Dale I, I don't know sure but. yeah I mean I, I try and address a lot of these issues that you guys have put your finger on here um, in particular uh, you're very right that when you look at those Trump supporters they were young men for the most part, like under 40 is what I would describe them as. Yes. Um, right. And so going down into their teens, maybe even not even able to vote. And so you think, so they formed this new demographic and then you got to think, I, I tried to untangle in the book. Well, well, why? What was going on? Um, and a lot of it um, was socioeconomic where mm-hmm. younger people, uh, I knew from just being my age um, that if you're a man in your mid thirties, late thirties, that like, um, yeah, there were a lot of men out there who didn't, uh, were, were struggling just like so many other young people that like, they didn't have a middle-class existence. They didn't have, you know, a fulfilling job or whatever. They, they felt like their lives were kind of reached a dead end. They didn't have a lot of money, couldn't buy a house, student loans, whatever. Um, and yeah, they became so disaffected. Um, that was the one half. And the other half was, as you say, this sort of cultural thing that was going on where, Society, American society encourages us to escape into the screen more and more so because a lot of people make money off of that. Um, and that phenomenon had been going on for several decades. It, the early version of something awful in Fortune and what was called otakuism was imported from Japan a little bit. But uh, that idea of dropping out and being in the, on the screen when your real life and there's, n- there's not much going on in your real life, well, uh, that those two things came together very quite easily. Uh, and so as the screen worlds expanded and uh, escapism expanded and marketing escapism and sort of the, the, the way that social media and the internet kind of draws you into the internet and you can spend your whole life there as that was expanding. And as people's real lives were getting, um, uh, less and less hopeful or sort of, there was less on the horizon. Well, yeah, it created a phenomenon like this. Um, where people are kind of lost in this sort of cynical irony too. And there's sort of a messaging fatigue where they don't even know, you know, they're kind of groping for a belief system. Yeah. And, and you want to something interesting. Well, for, I'm going to say real quick. Uh, the three things we talked about, right, that I think is common to all this, nihilism, dropping out, living your life on the screen. I don't want to take for granted everybody knows what everything means or that it means the same thing to everyone else. So sure. how do you define nihilism? I mean, like, what is it to you when you say nihilism? What is nihilism? 
Well, in a more general, in the in the most general sense, it means believing in nothing. But I, I think I use a little more specific sense, a little more uh, specifically in the book, what, because I use it to refer to a particular viewpoint for young men or young people um, when they don't really have a belief system, when they instead adopt. Um, uh, just um, a cynical way of, of feeling like uh, there's too many messages out there. I'm sort of fatigued by all of these advertisements and corporations uh, trying to kind of target my value system. Uh, so that means I'm just sort of going to give up, going to pretend like if I have nothing in in my heart, there's sort of nothing to co-op, nothing to steal. And there's just sort of this indifference, which was defining, I think, of like my generation, I call it 90s nihilism in the book. Um, but it really propagated through the internet, through something awful, and then 4chan. Uh, so that particular form of nihilism, which is almost like a fatigue. Um, and then in the book, I trace how after 20 years of this, this sort of new generation of incels on the chance, uh, because they were so long drifting in nihilism, uh, they re- were longing for this like hyper-conservative, hyper-rules-based traditional lifestyle, which is why they were drawn to this weird form of conservatism and sometimes fascism. But, but yeah. But, so, but, but what's so, interesting about that is that what you describe about them being drawn to that type of conservatism or fascism, I'm starting to realize like some people take it a different way. There's some people who have... Uh, uh, instead of like they've kind of realized, you know what, that conservative of fascism, it's not going to get me insurance. It's not going to get me this or that. I'm going to instead get into this type of leftism. My leftism is going to be just about getting things that are ostensibly leftist, but I'm not doing it because in touch with community or I have some kind of belief in something bigger than myself or whatever. I'm still nihilistic. I just want insurance. I just want student loan forgiveness because that's going to be my way out of losing them. Like, like, like you know, so like hmm. they still have these trappings that you're talking about, about hmm. like believing in rigid hierarchy. Cause you kind right. of bring that up. There's a lot of belief in rigid hierarchies. It's kind right. of thinking that you're kind of kept out of the life that you thought you were going to grow up into the, the middle-class right. existence or whatever. They just kind of realized, you know what? Uh, cons- like some people said, Oh, this traditionalism this belief system, you know, this getting a trad wife or doing all this stuff is my way out. Some people are like, you know what? Socialism is my way out, but I'm not into it because I believe in this community of, of humankind or I want, or I believe in lifting up the uh, disempowered. I'm into it in a Chan kind of way. Like I, like I just want mine. So it's still this kind of self-obsession, this kind of thing. So you're kind of Hmm. seeing this, this kind of um, irony laden trollness and aesthetic a lot of these kind of ostensibly leftist accounts, like there's this part of Reddit hmm. called Stupid Paul that's full of these type of accounts. Hmm. And you can't tell them apart from 4chaners. Like, wow. yeah. And because everything's so late in irony, you can't figure out, am I arguing? Is this person mad at me? 4chaner right. or a Stupid Pauler? And you can't tell. But something I want to add to what Kenny said, right? Kenny, mm-hmm. you know you said everything's like opposite day from uh, you, you can't, can't do, do that, that on television? television? Yeah. I would argue this is worse because opposite day is a lie. Opposite day involves I know the truth, so I'm going to do... I can remember that sketch. I'm going to do everything that's the opposite. So when you watch opposite day, the truth is still being kept alive because right. the joke relies on the truth, right? Where it's like if that That I, is the joke. The joke is that everybody's doing things they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, not just everything that they shouldn't be doing, but everything they're doing is the opposite of reality. But to construct a joke that's centered on being the opposite of reality, everybody in the room has to know what reality is for the joke to work. (laughs) Right. But this is something that's more like bullshitting, where the more that it's like it might be true, it it might it would be like if the skit was 
maybe opposite, maybe not opposite day. And you're just watching and the longer the thing goes on, you're not sure what's opposite and what's not. Right. And that's what's fucked up about this stuff. You don't know if somebody's like, whereas the old white nationalists, you at least knew you were dealing with the racist. With these guys, you have to waste half your time trying to figure out if the racism oh, yeah, is ironic or not. Right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, like ten people could be in a ro- in a chat room, and you don't even know. Even they don't even know. Like course, some people yeah. might be jumping in to right. a trolling uh, thing, thinking right. it's real, and the, and there's. And that's something yeah. you get into in the book too, but it's a big mishmash of everyone. Some who are in this for like the, as they say, the lulls and some who are in this uh, earnestly. And right. it kind of meshes into this place where it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think you're right that a lot didn't know themselves or don't know, right? They they were just deeply unhappy and, and being a troll or offending other people online was something that helped momentarily, though not for very long, their unhappiness. Um, there was an old internet law that came from one of these like early obnoxious trolls um, from uh, these trolling collectives that I write out where he, they say like, oh, well, whatever is adopted ironically as a troll culture will eventually become genuine. It will become a genuine uh, uh, belief system. And that m- sometimes happened or happened a fair amount with the fascist ideology where uh, I interviewed a lot of people for the book, a lot of sources who were channers and troll uh, trolls and, and sort of lived this life. They were this demographic of, of people who I think were kind of deeply unhappy in life and dropped out of life. Uh, but then they became genuine um, uh, neo-Nazis or fascists for a little while. Um, I, I think a lot of them have become disenchanted with it because obviously it's not a, at all good solution to their problems or any problems. Um, but uh, for a long time, yeah, that's what happened. It, it started as something that was ironic and melt, and the irony melted away uh, because it's hard to live in a vacuum forever. You can't actually hold a void as your belief system. Uh, so they, they were desperate to find something. I think something else that happens is that not only do they have a void as their belief system, I think everything is kind of stems from this kind of uh, hypersensitivity, this entitlement, and this disconnect from social interest. Uh, this hmm. disconnect from an interest in people bigger than yourself, but also like kind of like this hypersensitivity. So this is kind of like, and you go into this a lot in the book with things like R9K or things like um, Anonymous where they go through these phases or Jordan Peterson, they go through these phases where they just switch to, we're going to get out of this. We're going to be into self-help. We're going to be into empowerment, but it still kind of degenerates into this nihilism because it's still a self-obsessed, alienated version of uh, self-help or solutionism so whether they adopt conservatism whether they adopt whether they adopt liberal when they, they don't they don't that's what they never do they never seem to read really no, liberalism right? no the middle no everyone hates the middle right yeah everyone hates everyone hates the middle <laughs> yeah yeah whether they, yeah. they adopt left like I, said, I put leftism in quotation marks and i should also probably put conservatism in quotation marks because their version of leftism and their version of conservatism both end up getting funneled through a chan filter and end up becoming a warped version of what those things are. I think maybe mm-hmm. liberalism is a little bit liberalism and and uh, traditional conservatism are a little bit too earnest to really work mm-hmm. on Your those. Liberalism things. is too close to being around people of color and women. But you know, surprising though, sometimes people of color and women get sucked into this stuff. Even trans people. No, no, no. People, they do. They do. But this is yeah. new. This is new for that. Yeah. But these yeah. these demographics, this is old. You know, a lot of it is an inferiority complex that a lot of these dudes, because you know, it's majority men. It's a lot of it has an uh, inferiority complex. Also, that's why they like to hide. They always talking about 
sexual innuendos. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always some really goofy, weird shit. But it's weird. They want to yeah. hide, but they want to be seen at the same time. At the like, same like time, it's, yeah. It's like, here I am. Right. Don't look at me, but but please look at me. It's, a, it's right, a, right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. And, and and you can't really. It's a cognitive dissonance there that I think just makes you uh, crazy. Uh, Mario is here. Hey Mario, you want to say hello? Or did Mario this? Oh, Mario will pop up when he pops up. Mario oh, he's muted. Oh, he's, he's muted. Okay. Well, when Mario's ready, he'll he'll pop up. But <laughs> but yeah, like your book is very in a good way. Like like it's not. It's very well organized. It's just a lot of information. It's one of the things that makes it good. Oh, but you. it also makes it. Oh, oh, Mario says he's having mic issues. He's oh, no, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah so it's um, it's a nightmare for a podcast because there's so <laughs> much there's so much uh, stuff in it. But there's two articles that, that they're not as comprehensive as the book, but they're easier, a little bit easier to um, work with. Uh, I still recommend everyone get the book, though, because the articles are just like a fraction of what's in, in the book. But um, the two articles, one is called they're on medium one is called why does 8chan exist at all and the other one is 4chan the skeleton key to the rise of trump and then there's also another one called why donald trump is 4chan's ultimate prank um but that one's not on medium that one's on daily dot it's all going to be in the show notes but what would you say is in the book that you can't get from the articles because because i want people to get an idea of what you're going to be getting from the book that they won't get from the articles. If they were sure. Articles. Uh, so maybe the easiest way to do that is to just, uh, I'll, I'll start with a little brief summaries of what the articles are about. Uh, so uh, the 4chan article is about roughly, it's a rough history of this site, uh, 4chan, and how it first became this place that was wildly inventive on the internet in the early 2000s, um, invented memes and so forth to spawning a hacker collective, almost accidentally, that was on the far left or libertarian left, the anonymous hacker collective, to then collapsing um, uh, in around 2013 to like more like hardcore otaku despair. Uh, and then um, through a, a, a series of strange uh, political shifts, uh, ended up supporting Donald Trump. Um, and the other article is a history of 8chan. Um, so the successor to 4chan, in particular, a profile of HN's founder, Frederick Brennan, who uh, was uh, born with a disability, had a very difficult life, uh, but ultimately became a successful programmer. Uh, but for years, it he struggled economically and escaped into the chans. And his story uh, of being at the center of these movements, like the incel movement um, uh, and some of the uh, the early alt-right stuff, uh, which HN is still almost, or the, the successor sites are still the center for that, uh, and those were his creations. Uh, really kind of tells the, uh, I think, socioeconomic story of, of, of why these places exist. So the book has all of that, uh, but it goes into more detail. And it also just lays a lot more historical context. So it goes through uh, some of the, the um, other sort of thinkers like Barbara Ehrenreich or Hannah Arendt. Uh, or Marcuse uh, that I reference a little bit. I use a little bit in the articles. I really kind of lay out how their ideas work and how they how they apply um, to this um, kind of historical uh, phenomenon. So uh, in particular, I think that's particularly relevant because it's hard to explain fascism, right? It's hard to explain how this happened, where suddenly this this fascist movement, which was always a part of America, right? Always, always we had these elements, but that it bubbled in such this extreme way um, in 2015, 2016 to the surface. Um, you really have to kind of look um, 
at uh, the other thinkers who thought about fascism and where it came from. Um, so there's a lot, just as yeah, it's uh, a lot more, a lot more of that. Maybe more theory. I don't know if that's more of an advertisement, more theory. People love theory. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and there's a lot of uh, interesting, like, unifying theory in the book that's very compelling. Like, you don't, like, you don't get kind of mired. You're able to take a step back from the internet and contextualize it as opposed to just kind of diving so deep into it that you're not able to kind of see the edges and the seams and everything. And that's one thing I, I like about it. It's very, it goes, it reminds me that like there's, to go back to the punk rock analogy, like like there's this book called um, Please Kill Us about punk rock. And what I like mm -hmm. about it compared to a lot of other punk rock books, is it doesn't just start with punk. It starts before and goes after it and takes a step back to its, its place. It contextualizes it in time and in region and in, history and the cultural moment to kind of uh give a shape to it which is especially hard with something like the internet which is inherently shapeless yeah oh uh, well yeah thank you uh yeah that's what i tried to do so that's very gratifying to hear i tried to uh answer specific questions i don't actually like a lot of theory and gobbledygook unless it's unless it's useful for something so i wanted to really answer questions like okay well where did the alt-right come from why did this happen why did this anime website uh 10 years 15 years later spawn these cultural phenomenons that went around the world and influence and then turned into stuff for somehow a fascist movement in the u.s uh so yeah um and i try and pull back a little bit like you say and do uh the history of counterculture uh before uh 4chan and sort of contextualize how counterculture moved on the internet and that effect so yeah I, I try and answer very i try and make it clear and answer very specific questions rather than uh drift around a lot so i'm, I'm glad that it hopefully maybe it did something that added some clarity uh, to some of all of these strange issues something uh first kenny i've been talking for a while kenny do you have any uh questions or thoughts oh no no go ahead i'm just okay, listening okay cool i just want to make sure there's a quote one thing uh, you said something else that's in your book that i think is not in the articles, which I think is makes the book worth checking out as well. You do a, you don't really advertise it so much in the cover and in a lot of the press for the book, but you do a surprisingly deep dive on Tumblr too. And you kind of connect the similarities and the differences between Tumblr and the Chan culture in a very compelling way too. Like you don't just kind of settle for the superficial, uh, differences but you go a lot into a lot of the surprising uh similarities and i thought that's something that was pretty interesting but like how would you say tumblr is similar and different to what's going on on with the chance yeah so it, it was really this historical moment that um tumblr i guess is not so relevant anymore but uh back when the anonymous movement had collapsed so this was a far left sort of political activist hacktivist movement uh that was eventually swept up by the fbi and uh, other governments so 2012 2013 uh 4chan and then later 8chan uh, which was founded around that time really dived back into the original ethos which was cynicism dropping out living life in the screen becoming an otaku consuming uh media and just living in the fantasy media uh, and of course that was a very despairing thing to do and 4chan was mostly male and they ended up resenting um this other image board uh tumblr that was mostly female predominantly female and these two sites kind of became mirror images of one another so um uh tumblr was about carefully cultivating an identity cobbling it together out of uh, all of these little pieces of media and saying and self-defining because it was full of teens and that's something that teens do often and then being very polite um about respecting whatever elaborate identity you've cobbled together 
4chan was anonymous, an anonymous image board, so it was about anonymity. And it was about trolling and tearing apart all of these value systems and being uh, someone who kind of expressed this idea that you can just rip everything apart and uh, express that sort of nihilism and that you can attack other people's value system that way. Uh, so they fell into conflict and they sort of uh, had these rivalries that the trolls of 4chan would attack Tumblr. And it's strange because, of course, both of those systems, the 4chan side evolved into the alt-right at first uh through gamergate um and then became the alt-right and then the tumblr side uh was first it's now also that version of leftism has propagated through culture where um uh, we have a lot more uh talk about those issues um uh, and that sort of um like issues about identity and identity politics were generated first on Tumblr and then I think propagated out from there. Um, and that idea of being hyper polite, that sort of version of leftism where uh, it's about deference and it's no longer about um, rebellion, uh, which maybe some early leftist movements were, um, really offended and uh, turned away all these young men who were really angry who were on the chans. They said that if that's what leftism is about being polite, well, I'm angry, I have no money, I'm in debt, whatever. Uh, I want some radical thing that's going to spit in the face of society and the status quo. So that split, I think, kind of pushed them farther uh, to the right at that moment, 2014, 2015. One of the things that's interesting is you kind of talk about the mechanics, the sites kind of mirror a lot of what's happening in the actual politics. So What's, what's interesting is, and uh, Kenny, I don't know if you um, know this. I didn't really know this until recently, but remember that in the, in the mainstream media, they're talking about uh, Super Hacker Collective Anonymous. Mm -hmm. And do uh, you remember that, Kenny? Yeah. What did you think Anonymous was? I thought um, when I first heard about Anonymous, that was, ooh, was George Bush still president back then? <laughs> I, I can't remember. I think, it was later I think George Bush was president at this time when Anonymous came around. I'm not sure. I thought it was like yeah. some liberal oh, left oh, wing right. dudes, okay. huh? No, I'm saying I'm saying you were right. It was earlier than I thought. He's, he's yeah, it was a while ago because I remember that was around the time Alex Jones and all that stuff was popping up, and all these people were anti-government. I thought the I thought Anonymous was like this anti-war liberal left wing group of people of uh, well computer hackers because so they were hacking into the internet because that was when all those videos of all those uh. Those war crimes over in um, the Middle East right. started popping up. Yeah, yeah I, I thought they were like some kind of mad scientist type of super hackers that were, you know, really <laughs> uh, earnest and liberal and far left. And they were going to just hack everything, take over the world. And I remember a lot of people kind of after there were all these stories about them, like, you know, like like these mad scientists uh, using evil hacking for good. Then they just kept doing these misfires, like around yeah. the time of like Ferguson and that stuff. They were yeah, like, that's when that's that's when I was like, OK, this is weird, because then they started falling into this whole, oh, those shootings weren't real. It was. It was yeah, actor, yeah, yeah. It got really know, weird. Man. Or they would keep doxing police officers. And it'll be the wrong name and address. And I remember people were like, are right. these guys supposed to be super hackers? I don't <laughs> do that. That came, from for, that came from 4chan. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was that was like a 4chan. And can you explain what the word anonymous actually means on 4chan? Yeah, so uh, it's the default term that pops up whenever you post. So it's by default, you can use a username, but by default, if you write something, it just says anonymous in the name field. Um, so very quickly around 2003, 2004, when 4chan began, um, uh, people just started calling everyone who used 
4chan Anonymous. So that was their name for themselves. Then uh, around 2008, uh, 4chan felt very powerful. They had invented memes, which were spreading out through the culture. They were organizing these vast trolling collectives, and they were pulling these huge pranks. And then they realized they were so powerful that they actually had agency. And they decided to kind of pull this trick where they said, okay, well, we're this powerful hacker. We're going to destroy Scientology. And it worked. The media picked it up. They believed that um, Anonymous, which was really a collective of 4chan users um, which ha- who had some hacking skills were this powerful hacking collective. And that sort of the mask then became the face. Then they're like, oh, well, this works. And it died down for a little bit, but by 2011, it had been picked up. And yeah, really, it was a lot of hype. It was sort of this image that they propagated. And then behind that image were um, a vast collective of 4chan users and a, a few, like a very select set of very good hackers who were also 4chan users who were really doing these um, in-depth hacks. But eventually the FBI caught wind. This was well documented. It's documented in my book, but also from uh, other reporters back in 2008 to 2011, um, did a lot of work for the, on this. Uh, and they, you know, they discovered the people who were, the, who were doing most of the work and most of those guys went to jail um, and the movement really collapsed. And so there was this despair on the chans where you're like, well, uh, we we tried, right? We had this far left libertarian movement. We felt agency in our lives for this one second, um, but that ended. And now what are they about? Well, we're just back to what we were doing before, which was trolling, nihilism, uh, watching anime. And, and it explains uh, why, the, why the results were so mixed because uh, people, like sometimes they wouldn't copy some incredible hacks and the rest of the time they couldn't find a cop's name. They kept getting stuff wrong. And it's because there was no, it was all smoke and mirrors. It was like Kenny yes. said, people were behind, it was the Wizard of Oz. People were behind the curtain. There's this book, I talk about it like a, a lot. I know readers are probably uh, listeners are probably sick of me talking about it but have you heard of this book called uh on bullshit by harry frankfurt frankfurt yes yeah i've not like, read it but i've heard oh of it, okay yes. but like the central premise of the book is like a liar is somebody knows the truth because to lie you have to know the truth if you don't know the truth and you just say anything that comes to mind you might accidentally say the truth so <laughs> right. a liar has to always know the truth in order to consistently say a lie and not accidentally say the truth whereas a bullshitter just cares about their impression and how they present themselves so a bullshitter is like hey i want to look like an authority or an expert so i'm going to say whatever comes to mind as plausible so instead of true or false uh, for a bullshitter all that matters is plausibility and what they might say might be true it might be a lie, but it's almost secondary. Like if it's true, that's just a bonus. All that right. matters is that it's plausible and you fall into the plausibility. But what Frankfurt says, which is, I think is very true, is that when you bullshit long enough, you lose track of the truth because you haven't been keeping track of it. So mm-hmm. the track, the trap of bullshit is everyone loses track of the truth because no one is keeping tabs on it. All people are keeping tabs on is what's plausible. And that's why I was saying... It's actually worse than the opposite day because opposite keeping track of the truth and that anonymous thing perfectly captures that. Like no one knows what anonymous is anymore. Right. The media thinks it's one thing. Hey, that sounds plausible. Let's go for it. Hey, hey, media, we're a hacking super collective with Guy Fox Max, and the media just totally buys it. The media is just spreading the spreading the lie because it's plausible. But is it really a lie? Because some people there are really super hackers. A lot of people aren't. It's um. And that's something that happens with this stuff. Everyone loses track of the truth or what's real. The scary thing about the actual word anonymous on 4chan, it's 
pure bullshit. And what I mean by that is, uh, Kenny and uh, hey Mario, is your issue fixed yet? Are you able to pop in? I saw Mario. Well, I just heard him you. laughing just a minute ago. Okay, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, Mario's like a phantom of the episode. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Come swinging in oh, from the rafters. Yeah. Oh, I found some headphones that work for the show, some Bluetooth ones, and they're not charged. So I got to find some else to get ready to cut. Okay. <laughs> All right. Just, just, just Sorry, check it in. <laughs> no problem. But, but okay, guys, picture this, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Mario, Ken, picture this. Because I went in person to look at it, and it's very disorienting. Um, picture you're on a message board, right? Are you with me so far? I'll say that you're on Twitter, yeah. whatever. Picture everybody's name is anonymous and there's no way to tell them apart. It's not even like anonymous one, two, three, four. It's just it's a message board and everyone's anonymous. Mm. So you, you can't even tell if the same person is repeating themselves. You, you don't get a sense of anybody's personality or whatever, or you might have a really interesting conversation with somebody. You're not going to find them again easily because... Mm-hmm. Their name was anonymous the whole time. You know, you, you might am, am, am I am I capturing this right, Dale? No, that that's a that's very right. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like, and it feels like yeah. Yeah, so there's like a hundred posts in a, in a forum thread where everybody's anonymous, so you're not getting a sense of anybody's personality. Because say somebody posts ten different posts, but you, they all have the same name. Each successive post gives you an I- idea of that person's identity, of their personality, or whatever. So if you see you post. 20 times on Twitter, after a while, I'm like, okay, Ken is this kind of guy. You see me yeah. post 20 times. You're like, okay, T is this kind of guy. But picture if every tweet says said anonymous and had no identifiers, right? But then on top of that, every thread when it reaches, I think it's page 10, now it's page 15, auto deletes. So you can't even mm. find old threads anymore, mm. right? right? So you're in this kind of you're in this world where everything's ephemeral. Everything is self-deleting, self-canceling. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what Dale gets into his book is how the actual mechanics of the site mirror the belief system as in like, I'm nobody. I don't matter. I believe in nothing. And my actual posts are anonymous. There's no name on them. Nothing matters. Nothing lasts. Every like There's times when you do a search, something pops up in the search results and it's from 4chan. And then when you try to click the thread to see like what the, the thread was, it's gone. I didn't realize until you, I read your book why that was. It's because all the threads self-delete. Right. Yeah. So it's like actual, it kind of reminds me of like McLuhan in a way. Because you know, McLuhan says like the medium is the message. Right. And the medium you use kind of affects like the message. Like yeah. with, with uh, 4chan, it's like you kind of see why people end up being the way they are because, um, you know, it's self-negating. I think that's the, that's the way of putting it. But you point out also that the mechanics of Tumblr kind of right. lead to the opposite effect, where Tumblr, I don't know if you call Tumblr post tumbles or you just call them posts, but things can last for years mm-hmm. and people just keep adding to them or it's like one giant conversation. And so like while one is like nihilistic and getting rid of identity, uh, Tumblr is like hyper curating and amplifying identity and it's like the physical sites and how they operate kind of mirror the belief systems am i am i capturing no um, yeah that's exactly right yeah right yeah so tumblr was about yeah having a blog which was supposed to be you it was really your identity and it was cobbled together out of little snippets of pop culture and then the it would just keep going forever and people would keep commentating and annotating to it yeah and that became uh very wrapped up in the center of identity politics which then became a political system which propagated uh, out from Tumblr a fair amount. Yeah. So the the structure of the sites really 
uh, framed the ideology of these this, this set of belief systems in this bizarre way. Yeah, and I mean the Tumblr the Tumblr piece, like of course that's still what most social media is. Tumblr was mismanaged, but I write in the book that like Twitter and the new social media. They make money. All those these these sites are wildly successful because they create this little chamber of mirrors, this little hall of mirrors of self fascination, where we are supposed to cultivate an identity and advertise ourselves as a product and whatever. Like we're just little, uh, we're sort of promoting identity still in most social media. That's still most work. And an, an anonymous and 4chan for a while, though it was because it was anonymous, it was disgusting, it was gross, it was weird, it was dark and cynical. It was also, uh, it felt uh, anti-corporate in a sense and sort of anti-that. They resented this idea that corporations were kind of sucking people in to social media and to cultivating this elaborate identity. So their anonymous belief system was about like, no, 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 that's a trick. That's a way, like a capitalist trick. Um, and uh, sort of being... Um, uh, a collective of anonymous collective is the better way to do it politically. Um, which what is, the, is one of the weird ironies, one of the weird ironies of Tumblr versus 4chan is Tumblr stereotyped as being kind of liberal slash leftist, while 4chan's kind of some uh, stereotyped as being the right wing fascist site. But strangely right. enough, 4chan is weirdly more anti corporate and more anti capitalistic than Tumblr. Like Tumblr people. They eat up all that war capitalism with a with a giant spoon. Right. Yeah, I read about this in the book where I feel like a lot of the time that sort of Tumblr version of politics or whatever it is now, it still I think exists probably on other sites, Twitter, wherever it's gone. Um, identity politics in particular, a lot of the times gets caught up in saying, okay, well, this piece of media or this product um, is going to represent me. And therefore, um, the goal of politics is to lobby corporations as a consumer to, to put that in there. And therefore, when that's happened, we've won. But in fact, that that's not a win, right? That's just like you've been trapped in this hall of mirrors. And in fact, winning that goal is not going to get you very far. That if you kind of view yourself as a consumer beseeching the corporations or the big institution for a better product, um, that's actually not very good politics. Um, yeah, it's terrible politics. Uh, we call it represent on this show. We call it representation matters politics, where it's like right. if you promise to represent me in your corporate product, uh, I promise in return to buy the product. And it's right. Yeah. So I think that part of the left that that Tumblr cultivated, yeah, that was a big flaw in it. That it was kind of caught up in that idea. Uh, yeah, and uh, obviously, right, like it's it, it's an issue where of cooptation, which I get. I write try and write a lot about it in the book. This idea that whenever there's a radical revolutionary movement, not only capitalism, but big institutions kind of try and come in and, and co-opt it and say, well, we'll sell it back to you. Or, yeah, 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 they did it right. with punk. Uh, right. Peter Max, that 7-Up commercial about the hippies right. uh, that, you know, looked like a total hippie aesthetic and was selling 7-Up. It's, yeah, it's an old uh, story that we keep falling into. But right. now it's like people kind of uh, welcome it. Uh, the, the Tumblr people don't... Right. To them, it's not even a bug; it's a feature. They're, yeah. they're when the corporations adopted, they actually feel like they won. Yes, that's the bizarre kind of grotesque thing, right? You kind of just want to shake them, and you'd be like, "No, no, no! This was the opposite effect we wanted to." Right? Like people were trying to break out of that cooptation. And I write in the book that yeah, anonymous and 4chan, well, a lot of that culture was a response to the same thing that they had been co-opted so many times that so much had been stolen from them in terms of messaging and things like that that they wanted to become nihilists. They wanted they. Well, like, so we'll have nothing to steal. So uh, we'll be totally anonymous. We won't have personalities even. And that was 
through also it kind of it dovetailed with I don't know if you guys remember the Occupy movement had a similar idea where they were like, no, we're leaderless. We can't be co-opted. We can't, right? This can't happen because we're all a collective. We're all in the same. And that sort of had the same flaws of Anonymous, where it was a jellyfish. And in the words of one of the people that was close to Anonymous, he said, he described as a jellyfish where, like, there weren't borders. Anyone could pick up the banner. And that meant that it eventually kind of broke apart. And the people representing it weren't necessarily good hackers or, or really on message and so forth. That seems to be a feature of a lot of these newer movements uh, in recent times. Black Lives Matter was another one that claimed a sort of leaderless uh, movement status and things like that. So it seems to be a feature of a lot of these things. Um, Black Black Lives Matter was kind of um, more like Occupy Anonymous more than it was like previous civil rights organizations. Yep. Hmm, that's interesting. Though I feel like leaders emerged from that movement a little bit. As, as, no, as it gets mascots, closer mascots to, emerged. I, I think that's a, okay. that's a good way to put it. Now, um, in terms of, I would say organizationally, they did eventually, I guess, kind of elect the people who were said to be the the uh progenitors of the hashtag they were kind of like right called as the the leaders or the founders of black lives matter in terms of an organization you know so i guess it was two elements to black lives matter it was just the the wider movement and then eventually it split into you know people form their own chapters and things like that and then eventually it was also black lives matter the organization where right. i think it was what was it, elisa garcia and a couple of other young ladies yeah th- that's part of the problem is that black lives matter is both a hashtag and an organization so people like uh d ray mckesson and stuff like that mm. they're not actually part of black lives matter the <laughs> organization but it's similar to that weirdness that you talk about with anonymous like you know you say anonymous there's which anonymous is it right like there's the same thing happening with black lives matter and you know i right. said some people kind of became de facto leaders of occupy or kind of like you know when it comes to leader in this there's like a vacuum and, and, grift- and grifters pop in or yeah, right people that's kind of what happens on the black side of it with a lot of hmm. these uh movements like you know um and then they start fighting with each other about, you know, which Black Lives Matter is the real Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and, then, right. and then DeRay's like, hey, I never said I was the Black Lives Matter. I was just part of the hashtag Black, Black Lives Matter. And it's right. like, what's real, what's not? But I think what these people all have in common is they're all extremely online people. And like, what I mean by that right. is, like, for example, like me, you, Ken, and uh, you, Mario, I think we're people who are on the internet a lot or online a lot, but we don't actually have an online ethos. I think there's two ways to be online. You can just be someone, and a lot of people on Facebook are like that. Like just like normies who are just on social media a lot. Then there's people who actually absorb the online ethos. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm saying things making sense, but I feel like <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like there's a you can be on the internet but not really be of the internet. And I, when you're of the internet, then you start really buying into like this value system. Like for example. You're never supposed to be mad. If you're mad, you lose. That's someone with an extremely (laughs) online brain's realm of thinking. Someone like me or you, Ken, or Mario, who's on the internet a lot, but doesn't really buy into, like, the ethos of it like we'll just get mad on the internet like who cares like yep <laughs> yeah if you're right. insulting me i'm supposed to be mad and yep. then you have this weird conversation with someone who's telling you oh it looks like someone's mad and like well yeah i am mad what you, you insulted me why shouldn't i yeah why wouldn't <laughs> i be mad dummy <laughs> yeah right. and i feel like uh black lives matter occupy all these things were like people trying who were part of that online ethos trying to bring it to the real world like you know bring that leaderlessness that anonymity that you know do whatever but trying to do real world politics with it and it doesn't really 
I think really work because you kind of have to really believe in like, like you can't really troll your way into significance. And I think it's a problem <laughs> that a lot of this Bernie uh, left irony crowds kind of hitting against, you know? Right. Yeah. I guess it, it's, yeah, it's kind of, to me, I, I guess listening to what you're saying, there's two aspects where there's that part of you're very right, dragging the internet into reality. And there was that moment around Occupy going forward in the Arab Spring where there were these big revolutionary moments on the internet, which were then pushed into real life. Um, and a lot of them were, were leaderless in the sense that the, the same way the internet tries to make everyone equal, which was why it was, that was a political purpose behind designing it that way too. Um, but the other half, I guess, is also just the story of revolutionary movements uh, whether it's Occupy um, um, or the Arab Spring or uh, Black Lives Matter, where there's this moment and anonymous too, where all these people rise up and they say, hey, it's not great. Like we are here to protest. We're here to change things. We hate the system as it is. Um, and then that sort of second step of like organizing and having exactly. steering committees and doing all of that. And at that point, you need a leader. You need a, right. you need a positive plan. You can't just react. And the internet right. is made for reacting more right. than anything. Unfortunately, right. yeah, and that's that's the difficult step. To, <laughs> yeah, or if you're not going to have a leader, at the very least, have a guiding set of principles that everyone has to abide by. But you know, it seems like that even that right. is um, somewhat malleable. You know, I don't know. The thing that always happens too is like that randomness, that loose, that looseness, that spontaneity. I think is really energizing in any new online community. And then eventually it's the same thing that ends up making it devolve into chaos. And you kind of talk about that with the Tumblr chapter where you talk about how Tumblr seems like a refreshing breath of fresh air. It's about right. politeness. It's about whatever. And I just want to say as an aside, I don't think Tumblr is dead. I think it's actually the opposite. I think it's so normalized and into everything, even our movies now. Huh. Like, like, like Star Wars is like Tumblr, right? You look at Cartoon yes. Network. It's Tumblr art. It's it's yeah. kind of, it kind of became something where Tumblr became kind of dead because it was unnecessary. Now, the, <laughs> right? Yeah, the mainstream was Tumblr. So yeah, right. Why did you need um like, like in Marvel Comics? Something similar happened. They created this line called Ultimate Comics, right? And then the mainstream Marvel Comics became so much like the Ultimate line that the Ultimate line died because now it's redundant. <laughs> redundant. I think Tumblr is yeah, like right, redundant right. Yeah. now. Yeah, 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 that's but, a fair way of putting it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the media is is Tumblr now. You know, um, yes, right. they started bringing characters. They started bringing characters from the Ultimate Universe into the mainstream Marvel Universe. Yeah, yeah, exa <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, uh, Avengers became the Ultimates. It was the, it was like the same thing. Yeah. Um, Miles Morales, but came Spider Man. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Miles Morales came to the yeah, exactly. But um, I know I'm not gonna. What you mentioned comic books, man. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah uh tumblr uh tumblr kind of went off the rails too and you kind of describe that like like can you can you explain that Cause i think everything that's centered on the internet eventually goes off the rails and tumblr you can't describe how it went off the rails in its own way sure yeah i mean um well after a while there were these very intense debates over um uh it was this place where trans rights uh, were propagating before in the in the in the uh, conversations sort of national conversation before they hit the magazines and and popular culture, but that mixed in with Tumblr's culture about um, sort of living in fantasy, just like 4chaners were living in fantasy. So people who believed that they were other kin, that they were dwarves, or uh, identified on Tumblr as um, 
affection that like they wanted to be furries or live as, as cartoon foxes or whatever. Oh, um, my favorite was Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton right. is composed of people who identified with cast members of the 2015 Broadway musical Hamilton. Yes, and that was a real thing. They were apparently that wasn't ironic trolls. It really, they seemed to be genuine Tumblr users. Were like, that's my identity. Why can't I be the same as a trans person? And of course, Tumblr said no. And there were these big debates. But it was a lot of uh, teenagers and young people trying to figure it out, sort of through the discourse. Uh, and so they were these long annotated threads about whether that was what was right about that, what was wrong about that. Um, and I related to my book to um, the 2015 protests at, at these Ivy League colleges where, um, at Yale in particular, where a lot of these kids had then gone to college and that there was a big, the, the biggest protest at Yale was over Halloween costumes and what was the correct representation of the Halloween costume. And to me, that was pure timbre culture imported into the into the college. And it was a strange thing, I think, if you don't look at it through the Tumblr lens, to be protesting where there were all these horrible things going on in our society, all these injustices, the endless wars and um, the economic disparities. But somehow this became the hot button issue. And to me, it was the internet really kind of, and that set of that set uh, of, of websites on the internet, that culture propagating out into real life. Um, and we, I, I guess that kind of just became a moment and, and moved on. But you're right, it it's now sort of like, now it's just part of the discourse, part of our, our uh, leftist discourse. Yeah, I mean, Marvel is trying to like capture Tumblr art and Disney and um, all this stuff. It's 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 just very weird. I don't know. Yeah, but, well, I mean, that's the also the strange part that uh, that's something the internet has where I, we already touched on this, where it it really if youth culture and these cultures that are about social justice are also about just making sure that their products, their fantasy products are right, that they want to kind of escape into fantasy and they want to make sure that their fantasy is exactly as they want it. Like that to me is a very sad political goal. Um, and you see that all the time, like you said, like I, I also felt like I was watching Star Wars and you would sort of hear the Star Wars characters talking to the fandoms, whether it's Reddit or Tumblr to say, Hey, okay, I I've listened to you in the movie and, and we're going to do the right thing. Uh, for your fantasy product very strange kind of new phenomenon i don't know if it's it, good it, politics i don't think it is but um and at least the weird places right where you get this weird and i think there's more like the bullshit thing where you just kind of lose track of the truth because people just make up reasons for doing stuff right like you reach a place where the woke guy is a white guy with a beard called um uh, ryan johnson and john boyega <laughs> right. john boyega like right. when it started John Boyega was the civil rights, was the, was a woke cause against the reactionary 4chan type guys. Like, oh, right. the, the reactionary white guys are mad at the black guy for becoming a black stormtrooper. But we get to the point of the third movie where because Ryan, ja Ryan Johnson, the supposedly woke guy, even though he's a white guy with a beard, uh, right. did this movie and he made Kylo Ren uh, become a thing with Ray, right? Right. They start shipping Kylo Ren and Rey is like, you know, we want this relationship to happen. And then by the third movie, John Boyega is the bad guy and the unwoke guy right. for being against, for making a joke about the white guy, Kylo Ren, the entitled white guy getting with the white woman. So right. it's like, okay, wait a minute. Where did we go from? We're championing the black stormtrooper against the racist entitled white guy right. to now the unwoke position is to support uh, the black guy and the woke, the woke position is to root for the spoiled white guy to get with the white woman. 
right. the bad guy now is the black yes. guy. Like, like nothing makes sense. Right. Yeah, they the corporations will kind of always betray you, even when you ask for those sorts of things. Right. Yeah. I mean, but I, if people me, stop stop forgetting yeah. what they even wanted anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's sort of like I mean, to me, uh, the metaphor I used in the book was like there's that episode of Star Trek where they're they're in the holodeck and then suddenly and the game is that the the holodeck illusions are trying to keep them there so they every time they think they leave they're in fact still on the holodeck so they're still like the game is to kind of create a simulation that feels real like create the simulation of victory so it feels like oh we've made a victory like uh we've we've done we've made the exact fantasy product that that uh, is the the world of the fantasy product is just right. Just things are happening in the fantasy product. It's not real life, but for a moment it feels like an illusion. Like oh, you've done something, um, but in fact, yeah. In, in the end, like what have you won? You've won like the the film, and the film in fact isn't very good politics so, in the end after all. Um, so, so 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 wait, how how does the episode of the holodeck go? Have you guys ever seen this episode he's talking about? I haven't seen it. No. <laughs> Can, uh, so it, it's it, it's like they go on the they go on the holodeck and it's a Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. um, uh, simulation and they invent a Dr. Moriarty and they say make make this simulated Dr. Moriarty be able to defeat us, make him smarter than us. Mm-hmm. And so what he does is he says uh, they play through the game and Moriarty says, "Oh, you've won. All right, uh, good good game. All right, now it's time for you to leave and leave the simulation of the holodeck and go back to your ship." But in fact, he's just simulated the entire ship and they're still stuck on the holodeck. Oh, uh, right. You, 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 you wonder what this is like. Um, okay, you know, remember the Matrix? And this yeah, one is interesting. Right. The Matrix has something called the red pill. Right. And and in the Matrix, uh, it's supposed to be based on a uh, Baudrillard and hyper reality, right? Right. And Baudrillard hated the Matrix because Baudrillard's kind of idea about hyperreality is what you said, but the simulation becomes so convincing and reality becomes so despairing. And you talk about this in this article about how one of the reasons why the internet is blowing up is because the virtual is getting more and more vivid and more fun and more whatever, especially video games, but real life jobs are worse, prospects are worse, you're mired in debt, you're in a cubicle. Like uh, the simulation becomes more appealing than real life, but also you start you start losing track of what's real and what's not. It's kind of like the bo- the on the on bullshit thing by Frankfurt. It's like um, you live in a world of what's plausible, and right. uh, suddenly the simulation seems more plausible than ever, and reality seems more implausible than ever, and you lose track of reality. Baudrillard hated the Matrix because he's like the Matrix is about is not post truth. It's about lies and truth. It buys into the conceit that we're keeping track of the truth. Like, you know, I can take this pill. Right. I can step out of, I can see the life for what it is and step out of it. And he said, a scarier, more accurate version of what I'm describing is that you don't know what's the matrix and what's reality anymore. Like you're just in levels and levels of simulation and you keep thinking that you stepped out of it, but you haven't actually. And that Star Trek episode sounds like more like what Baudrillard was going for about you just keep because every because the illusion is so plausible. You just keep losing. You start losing track of what's the illusion and what's not. And I think the internet has a lot of that, where it's like yes. uh, it's so much more fun to be glued to your screen and immersed in something. Right. It becomes more real than your real life. Right. Yes. And then political, really lofty political goals of real change or real revolution then get shuffled into fantasy products like films or they get shuffled into um, uh, uh, Twitter discourse or whatever, social media that people are making money off of these addicting platforms and and uh, capitalizing on people's despair where they're venting on the Internet. But, yeah, these are 
overall, all of like real political goals being shuttled away into uh, fantasy realms, just like Moriarty or whatever would just say, okay, you've won. Um, but in fact, they're just simulating a condition where it feels like you've won. Oh, <laughs> they're wow. simulating, right? So I got very angry at, at like Black Panther. I write about this in the book where I'm like, it felt very just at the end, but that was so unfair, right? That it was, it felt like, oh, right, you get, you get the movie. It's just in the movie. Everything's fixed in the movie and it's fixed with Marvel fantasy. Um, but no, you know, in Baltimore, they were busted. Seeing stu- students to speak oh, and everything, and yeah. right, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that was a topic of our yeah. show about, about yeah. how ridiculous that was. The people treated it like real politics, right? And they're like, this was a real victory, and then Disney felt so bad. Uh, that that was sort of so embarrassing that they said they at the, after it came out they're like well okay well we'll give nine million or something or some set amount of money to STEM education actually for real mm-hmm. because they made so much money selling people's unhappiness about and- how things weren't changing in the movie right that that it worked so well. All right, y'all. So that is the end of part one go to again patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two be good